The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hold it. One, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pictureless podcast highlighting the romantic elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. Uh, once again, I'm Noah Scott, and unfortunately, my partner Brandon actually couldn't be here tonight, but I am joined tonight by our very cool special guest, Doug Ishikawa. Now, Doug is a mainstay of the fantasy baseball community and is currently one of the hosts of the Pitcherless Shorts podcast on the PL Podcast Network, uh, where he, Rich Holman, and Scott Chu get you quickly caught up with all the fantasy baseball news you need to know to start your day. He's also a frequent podcaster and contributor with both SP Streamer and Fantrax. Doug, glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Noah. Good to be here. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Uh, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. Sorry we missed out on having Brandon here too, but I'm glad to be here and um, excited to talk a little bit of baseball with you tonight. Yeah, but I will say at least I did get through the intro without calling you Doe. <laughs> um, what's going on with that? I, I saw that on Twitter today. What's what's happening? Yeah, it's like a it's like a phenomenon that's going on right now. Um, so Doug Ishikawa, and every time that I, you know, there are just certain moments throughout the day, I went to go get a coffee at, at Starbucks and uh, looked down at my uh, my name there, and for a long time I stood there, and and then somebody had to call out. They're like, "Is there coffee for dough?" Coffee for dough, Americano for dough. And I was looking around. I'm like, whose name is dough? And it stood there for a little bit. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's probably me. So I walked up there and I grabbed it. So that's kind of like how I started the day off. And then, you know, kind of combing through. I was on um, the hey, it's the Enrico Palazzo baseball podcast with Chris Deary and Michael Gouveia. They're fantastic guys. But I went to go look at myself on YouTube and I saw that my name came up as talking fantasy baseball with dough. Ishikawa. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, got to work, opened up my email and uh, saw that it was uh, addressed to the rest of my team members that I work with. And my name was Doe. So I just uh, discarded that email. And then at the very <laughs> end of the day, got a text message from a buddy. I'm going to be doing something um, this upcoming weekend with hosting and I called Doe again. Now I know the G and the H are very close together there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Doug to Doe. So I, I feel like I have a new nickname that I, that the that the stars are telling me they all are aligning and I probably should just go with it. 
And it's weird, too, because those are like four different, you know, people aren't I assume people aren't, you know, all talking to each other on this big, like inside joke. Right. Like that's such an odd, you know, multiple times in a day. That's that's super funny. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it's been a it's been fun, you know, so I, I kind of look for it in in and everywhere I turn these days. So I guess I got a little Pillsbury in me. And if I, I, I probably should get out and run a little bit more, do some more cardiovascular exercises. Somebody is telling me something. So um, it is Ooh. funny. I know it's in jest and I know like the G yeah. and the H and, you know, with uh, autocorrect these days, but I just, I always send it off whenever it comes up. I always send it off to a co- coworker of mine and it just like makes her day. So, you know, I, I guess I'm making somebody smile out there, right? There you go. You're getting something positive out of it. Um, <laughs> now, Doug, it is becoming a bit of a tradition uh, on our show here for guests to bring with them a trivia question. Um, I heard you have one for us here tonight, although we don't have Brandon. So I guess it's it's. I'm not really competing against anyone here. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you gave me the rundown. So do you want me to give you the trivia question right now? Sure. Okay. Um, so I, I know that later on this evening or, or during the podcast, we're going to be talking about two-way players. So name the only player to hit a major league home run and score an NFL touchdown in the same week. Pretty easy. Should be uh, something that you could get very easily here. Now, luckily, this did come up uh, in my research for this oh, episode. Oh, shoot. <laughs> uh, it did. It did. Uh, but it is that is a really unique trivia question. Um, and I'm just glad I'll be able to hold it down for for Brandon and I here and uh, not embarrass myself too bad. But I'm going to go with primetime Deion Sanders. That's that's just one of the most incredible achievements, like just because baseball and football don't really overlap like that. That's that's wild. Yeah. One of my favorite players is just, you know, a brash player, confident player. Uh, a guy that went out there and just played hard every single game, whether it was football or whether it was baseball. And, uh, you know, it, you, you kind of sit back and you're just in awe of the athleticism that some of these these players have. And so like Neon Dion was just somebody who I always tuned in for when he was like intercepting the ball, when he was, you know, when he was on the Cowboys or the 49ers and then watching him play uh, baseball when he was like playing for Cincinnati or playing for the New York Yankees. It's just a, a fun player to kind of keep track of and watch and be like, man, I'm not even good at a single sport. How, how cool would it be to be <laughs> awesome? And two. Yeah. Some guys really do just have all the talent, huh? <laughs> I didn't even bring up the fact that he played for the Falcons too, because that yeah. I used to have a Falcons hat and I used to cheer them on all the time. So yeah. Neon Dion Sanders looking pretty good there. Yeah. And uh, like you said, that is going to be a segment that we're going to go into later tonight. Uh, We're going to be talking about multi-sport players, which I'm really, really excited about. I think that's a really unique corner of baseball and athletics as as a whole. Um, So really getting to go in depth on some of the greatest athletes of our time. As far as the rest of the episode rundown goes, uh, we're going to be introducing a new segment tonight. Uh, rotating in what we are tentatively calling Coach's Corner, uh, which is where we're going to really help uh, people new to baseball learn a little bit more about the analytics that go into the sport. Uh, and that's really steeped in heavily, especially these days. Um, so we're going to be defining and playing around a little bit with uh, slugging percentage. After that, we're going to go into our fan favorite segment, the pickle jar, where we're going to be defining another wacky baseball slang term. And then, like I said, we're going to close it all out with a roundtable discussion about our favorite multi-sport athletes. 
Sound good? Absolutely. Take me through it. Let's get going. All right. All right. Now, Doug, um, I see you have the, uh, the the flying W flag behind you. Safe to assume you're a Cubs fan, right? You know, I, I have said this on, on a couple of podcasts that I've been on. So my family is deeply rooted in, in Chicago Cubs love. And for as long as I can remember, I've rooted on the Cubs. Now that has recently changed. I've jumped ship. I'm over on the White Sox side now. So that is like blasphemy oh. to some of my family members as well as my friends here. But uh, and, and that's just recently with what's going on with, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Cubs past offseason and, you know, um, some of the some of the decisions to get rid of, you know, ace pitchers like you Darvish or. Yeah. You know, it was hard to say, say goodbye to John Lester, too, but uh, really like what they're building on the south side, but and, and pretty deeply rooted with uh, with Chicago Cubs lore. So, yeah, you know, you, you so you've switched sides. That is I I can't believe do some of your family members just not talk to you anymore. Yeah, they don't. I mean, it really was awkward. You know, I guess through, um, you know, everything with the quarantine and COVID that, you know, we didn't have a chance to hang out with each other. And maybe that was a good thing in some regards that um, nobody had to see me at Thanksgiving or or over the holidays a little bit. So <laughs> give me a little bit of grief there. They did have a, a problem with it, but I think they understand it and they respect it. But, you know, I, I was telling you earlier um, when we were talking before we uh, began the podcast here that, you know, I I was at the 2016 run for the for the Chicago Cubs and I loved every single moment of it. It was a huge deal to me and it was a huge deal to my family. Um, you asked me before, like, what's something that's really cool with you in baseball? And I'm like, I went three and zero during that playoff run. So I think Chicago owes me a huge thank you. Um, I went to the <laughs> National League Championship Series. I went to Game One. I, I did say this before when you and I both, we were in a uh, pitcher list um, newbie draft um, That's covering right. some of the things that we loved about baseball. And I got to tell this story there that um, I got to watch Miguel Montero sh- uh, walk up to the plate and hit a grand slam off of Joe Blanton. And uh, I tell you, I was in the left field um, st- bleachers at the time and that place was rocking and like you could physically feel the whole stadium kind of swaying back and forth and it was you know it's just something like that where you're being able to be a part of a crowd and hang out with a bunch of your friends and be like man I got to be a part of that and then I got to come back a couple games later when they got to close it out in game six against Kershaw to go to the World (laughs) Series and I remember we had horrible seats, but we were just trying to get in there, me and a couple of my friends, and we were just sitting there and we're videotaping the last double play, and it was like euphoria. My brother was outside. He was on a rooftop, and it was like one of the most magical moments just because the Cubs had finally you know, shed all of these years yeah. of being the doormat and being a national punchline. And for us to go to the World Series was so incredible and such a, a fun ride. And then I, I'm sorry for taking up so much time here and talking about no, this, even though I it. jumped to the south side and people are like, you don't get to talk about the 2016 <laughs> Cubs if you're a south side fan now. But I went to game five with a good friend of mine 
who had season tickets and he told and I told him I go if you bring me to a world series game it will be drinks for life on me every time we hang out in any social setting we could be at a bar we could be at a restaurant we could be at a wedding we could be just hanging out on a weekend night and you want me to go get you a drink of anything that you want I will totally go and do that and he was like totally deal and so like every time I get to see him now we get to share that moment of game five because that's when yeah. the Cubs started to turn it around. They were down in the series um, against the Cleveland baseball team there, and they came back in a very tight game five. They won it, and it was probably one of the best experiences of my life being able to say we got to see a World Series game that the Cubs played in at home. And so magical moments here in, you know, for Chicago – and uh, something that I will truly never forget and has caused me to kind of catapult how much I love baseball. Sorry, that That's was a awesome. really long tangent and no, story. No, no, we we definitely encourage tangents here on Short Hops and Tall Tales. That's a once in a lifetime experience that is super cool. I definitely remember being on the receiving end of that Miguel Montero Grand Slam and had a <laughs> My, my reaction was the polar opposite to yours, <laughs> yes. I would think, uh, as my heart sank to the floor. Um, <laughs> but but I, uh, I would say that it's more forgivable now that you are on the south side of the rivalry, seeing as you pretty much were responsible for getting the Cubs to their <laughs> yes. first World Series, right? Yes, I should so have already a ring. won them a ring. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's like LeBron going, you know, and going to my or, you know, going back to Cleveland after winning in Miami. Right. You know, you've you've got to bring it home for for the other teams. Yeah, I'm just um, taking my talents to the south side. Yeah. And that's I, I really liked what you mentioned. And, you know, when you go with friends and you do get caught up and that's like a, a memory that you're going to have forever. Like that's that's really cool. Yeah. The biggest regret that I have is just I got asked to go to game seven in Cleveland uh... and I turned it down. I remember Ah. thinking to myself, man, I don't know. It was, you know, it was obviously tied series three, three there. And um, I I don't, I didn't think that I could take it if they lost. (laughs) And so my, one of my best friends ended up going, my brother and his wife ended up going and they they would be updating me as it went on. And obviously it's probably one of the most uh, crazy game sevens that you will get. And I got to watch it at home. That's fine. Um, and, and kind of be in the comfort of my own home. But it is a huge regret that I just didn't spend a little bit of cash to go and do that. But yeah. it was still a great, great opportunity to, to watch such a fun team that year. So got to love baseball. Got to love the Cubs from 2016. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, that's that's a really cool story. I, I unfortunately, Dodgers are, of course, my team wasn't able to go out this year uh, because obviously the whole pandemic, you know, but uh, hopefully sometime in the future, we'll see. Uh, but with that, we're going to move on into our new segment called Coach's Corner. Uh, so here we're going to help teach some of our listeners, uh, you know, really help familiarize you with some baseball statistics. Now, if you already know what we're going to talk about here and you are bigger on the analytical side uh, maybe you could skip forward a little bit in the podcast i won't hold it against you <laughs> um, but right now we're going to talk about slugging percentage so what is slugging percentage you've probably seen it before as the third number in the traditional triple slash statistic that you'll see on tv graphics when a batter comes to the plate uh, so you'll have batting average on base percentage and then the mysterious slugging percentage and 
while it is a little harder to define off of the top of your head than, you know, batting average, you know, that's every time, you know, the ratio somebody gets a hit or on base percentage, how often somebody gets on base. Slugging percentage is a little murkier, but essentially what it is, is it's a statistic to represent the total number of bases a player records per at bat. Uh, so this is really used to help measure a hitter's ability to hit for extra bases like doubles and home runs um, and a way to indicate how well a player hits for power. Uh, so just so you know what it is, uh, you know, the formula, it's, you know, singles plus doubles times two plus triples times two plus home runs times four divided by total at bats. Uh, so you're, you know, really trying to get your total bases over at bats here. Um, now, unlike on base percentage, slugging percentage deals only with hits and doesn't include walks or hit by pitches in the equation. So that's just a very brief in a nutshell. That's what slugging percentage is the next time you see it, uh, it you know, in an on screen graphic. Now, going off of that, uh, it's time for a little bit of a trivia um, related to slugging percentage. And so, Doug, uh, we're going to go into this. So can you name the top five hitters or just however many you can name uh, top five hitters in slugging from 1990 to 2000? Oh, and, uh, man. What are your thoughts? <laughs> no, horrible at uh, easier to give trivia questions than to answer them. That's why nobody oh, wants me on their trivia team. <laughs> Um, from what years did you tell me again? So 1990 to 2000. Oh man, I have no idea. Can we get, can we get like a Mark McGuire on there? Would he? Mark McGuire is number one. Is he really? Number one. There you go. The Bash brother himself. You're trying to shark me here. I'm not trying to shark. like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Trivia immediately gets Mark McGuire. Number one, uh, 622 slugging percentage in the 90s. So there you go. You got got number one. Uh, any other names come to mind? Uh, you have to have Barry Bonds up there too. I'm sure, right? Is he number two? Oh wait, I'm not. I'm not, folks. I'm not looking at anything on the Google here. These are <laughs> he doesn't just all- have yeah, <laughs> no notes or anything. <laughs> but he's got one and two. Those are great guesses, though. McGuire, obviously, you know the big 90s home run race. Barry Bonds is obviously one of the greatest athletes of all time. So you've got the top two. Now, uh, here's where it gets tricky. Yeah. Are we saying that that Mike Trout isn't on there? One of the best players of all time? <laughs> uh, no, seeing as he didn't debut for, you know, another decade. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> what were the, the, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, what other? Um, I know he's in the bunts now, but is, is A-Rod on that list? A-Rod is actually not even in the top 10. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's number three. I'll get clickbaity here, but number three will surprise you, or maybe not. I don't know. Um, are we looking at somebody like? Um, I can give you a hint if you want to. Yeah, give me a hint. Okay, okay. So played in the National League West. Yeah, that doesn't help me out at all. It doesn't help me out at all. National League West. We already covered bonds. Hmm. You might as well just give it to me. I don't know. For sure. <laughs> it's actually Todd Helton, which Is it I really? was surprised at. Yeah, it's Todd Helton with a 601 slugging. Wow. Yeah, I I wouldn't have thought of that that either. Um, can you... Okay, so do you want to go forward and try and name any more, or do you want me to just rattle off some You of can the, just the rattle. <laughs> I got the okay. top two. I'll just give myself a, you got the top a small two. participation trophy for that yeah yeah um so yeah todd helton number three 601 then you have vladimir guerrero of course uh manny ramirez 
Mike Piazza. And then I was actually surprised to see him this low. Then you have Ken Griffey Jr. at mm. number seven. Mm. Um, and then rounding out the top 10, the big hurt, Frank Thomas, uh, Nomar Garcia Parra and Albert Bell. So 10 of the biggest, most prolific sluggers of the 1990s. So that in a nutshell is slugging percentage with a little bit of context behind it. Uh, now moving on into the pickle jar segment. Uh, so Doug out, you know, if you're not familiar, if listeners aren't familiar, this is where we take, uh, one of baseball's many weird and wacky slang terms and, uh, really kind of go a little bit into the origin while at the same time, uh, getting some responses from people that are less familiar with baseball as to what they think, you know, the slang term might mean. So tonight's term is Baltimore chop. Um, so I reached out to two of my friends that are, more interested, you know, they're bigger basketball guys than baseball guys. Um, so, and I, I got, you know, I was like, what do you think this means? Just off the top of your head, no Googling or anything, just speculate. So my first, my first friend Vance, he thought that it was when you start to swing at the ball and stop halfway before it could be called a strike. So he was really, you know, circling around like a check swing, mm. which I could kind of see it, you know, you're chopping at the ball and you're holding up a little bit. I, I thought that was a fair, fair answer. Uh, and then I also asked my buddy Owen and he had a really, I was really impressed with what he said. And he said that the Baltimore chop was a hitting style first utilized by, these are his words, uh, by whatever team was playing in Baltimore in the early 1900s. <laughs> and it's where, uh, you know, someone starts running during their hitting motion and chops at the baseball in an attempt to gain a head start towards the bag, uh, serving as the precursor to slap hitting that's used in softball. I thought that was a really great process of thinking there. I, you know, it's pretty close too. That's very deep. Like he was going a little bit of Ichiro early on, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And he, I liked how he tried to give an answer within like a historical context, right? Yeah. And Owen, you weren't too far off. Now, Doug, I'm going to flip it over to you. Do you know? I mean, do you have any idea what a Baltimore chop is? No idea what really Baltimore chop I'm, I'm riveted though. I'm on the edge of my seat to find out exactly what. How close was Owen and Vance on their on their uh, little bit of yeah. uh, expertise there? Yeah, so a Baltimore chop, uh, it's a chopper that takes a high bounce near home plate that allows the runner to reach first base safely. So it's really when a hitter, you know, slaps the ball right into the dirt and it pops up into the air, uh, kind of like a line drive, except, you know, it protects them from the, the line out, right? So yeah, the idea is that it'll linger in the air long enough for the runner to beat out the play. Um, and now it actually does date back to the 19th century Baltimore Orioles, um, who actually had their groundskeeper bury uh, cement slabs in front of home plate so that they could easily, uh, you know, get hits by purposely chopping the ball into the ground. Um, and, you know, the cement would give it more spring uh, to get to stay up in the air longer, which I think is really cool. And one of those examples of gamesmanship that was really present in the early days of baseball that, you know, I think makes it really unique. Uh, so, yeah, that is a Baltimore chop. So, Owen, uh, shout out to you because you got really close here, I think, for, you know, not really having any idea uh, what it was. But, uh, yeah, that's that, so that's you have never heard that term before. Never heard that term before. It sounds a lot like my my Little League career, though, when I was 10. <laughs> but, yeah, I should have I should have known that ahead of time. But that's that's pretty cool that you hear about, um, you know, certain stadiums or certain teams who had kind of like a built-in philosophy on on what they uh what they tried to do. You know, I I grew up and I I I watched a ton of basketball and 
I would always follow like the Lakers. And uh, one thing that I really remember was that Magic Johnson used to like to dribble the ball really high. So they would, the Lakers would go in and they would pump up the air in the basketball. So Magic would have a better opportunity to handle the ball. And, um, you know, you look back at like the old Boston Garden and that that Celtics team knew which area on the floor was good and which was a dead spot. And so it's kind of fun to see, you know, the baseball side of it that, you know, these the Orioles were uh, were kind of having a little gamesmanship there to, and, and telling their team that that was what their philosophy was to get on base. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, and it's I think it's pretty funny because it's completely anti, you know, launch angle, you know, that we have today, right? You're literally just trying to drive the ball straight into the ground. Um, so, yeah, I think that is a, a pretty interesting corner of baseball history. Small ball um, before so small now, ball. Oh, very small ball, right? Um, so now moving into uh, our main discussion for the evening, we're talking about multi-sport athletes. Uh, which is one of the parts of just, you know, athletics that I think is just so just beyond impressive that somebody could be, you know, a professional athlete, at not only one sport, you know, but but more, you know, more than one, obviously. Um, so the way we're going to be doing this is we're going to be actually counting down our top seven multi-sport athletes uh, with a weird order. We're going number one to number five, four, three, two, and then six and then seven. That's really convoluted, but I promise it'll make sense thematically, or we're hoping. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, anyway, so number one, uh, you got to lead it off with Jim Thorpe, right? He is the original multi-sport athlete, and in my opinion, the greatest athlete of all time, full stop. Like, you know, LeBron is obviously LeBron James, but Jim Thorpe was the greatest athlete you know he has two gold medals at the 1912 summer olympics and the pentathlon and the decathlon in shoes that he found in the trash like yeah you could make the argument that you know in the 1912s athletics weren't as far along as they are now but that is incredibly impressive not only that but he also played professional baseball uh in 1913 after he got home from the olympics he actually joined the new york giants as a highly sought after free agent and help them repeat and win the pennant. Then following that, he actually barnstormed with the White Sox and the Giants around the world, uh, spreading baseball across the country and internationally. Um, So he actually had a pretty legitimate career in baseball. He played the next three years uh, back with the Giants as an outfielder uh, before bouncing around the National League with the Reds. And at the time, they were the Boston Braves. And then he was in the minors, ended up retiring at age 32 in 1919. But Across six seasons, he hit 252 uh, with seven home runs and 29 stolen bases. So that's great, right? You know, he's, uh, you know, an Olympic athlete. He's won Olympic gold. He's carved out a fairly productive baseball career. Not only that, though, but he also played, you know, football. He played 12 seasons as a tailback and led the Canton Bulldogs to championships in 1916, 1917 and 1919. He was excellent on offense and defense. Pretty much did it all when I was researching uh, him for this episode. I just couldn't believe, you know, the stories that came out of his football career. You know, he was an expert blocker, tackler. You know, he could run through everybody, catch over anyone. And he even was like a great punter and field goal kicker, too. Like he literally could play any position in almost any sport. Right. Um, And he was actually the first president of the uh, American Professional Football Association, which later became the NFL. So not only a great baseball player, Olympian, football player, also played basketball and hockey because I don't know. He just Why wanted not? to 
why not right you know if, if you you've been good at everything else you know why not keep playing he's got so many plaques he's in the pro football hall of fame college football hall of fame uh, american olympic hall of fame track and field hall of fame and the national native american hall of fame so that's jim thorpe uh in a very very brief rundown um now we're gonna get we're gonna move forward quite a few years uh to more of the modern era Clocking in at number five on this list uh, after jumping around, uh, Danny Ainge, hmm. two championships with the Celtics. Now, I actually didn't know that he played baseball. Uh, I knew that he was obviously, you know, he played with the Celtics for 15 he played with years. the Blue Jays. He played with the Blue Jays. Yeah. And not only that, he played for the Blue Jays while he was in college playing basketball. Hmm. <laughs> like. I I think it's amazing that he played with the Blue Jays while he was in college at all, because that's he had to be really good at that point. Right. Um, but he actually played for three seasons, wasn't very successful in Major League Baseball, hit like 220 with two home runs, did steal 12 bases. Uh, but then he did end up giving it up to pursue a career in the NBA, um, won the Wooden Award in college and obviously had a very successful NBA career and is now the current Celtics president and general manager. So, uh, I I didn't know know that um you know about his his baseball career so I thought that was uh, something very interesting that that uh, came up. Yes, gra- scrappy little speech. scrappy little guard that Danny Ainge, a little fiery. <laughs> I I was wondering if you were going to mention his stats from his Blue Jays days. It sounds like he was a slap hitter and he was just a guy that went out there and ran a lot. So yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. I, I I've always liked watching Danny Ainge play. He always brings like a a, a little bit of a uh, a competitor's edge to everything that he does. So that's, yeah, one of the, so number five is Danny. Number Ainge. five. Nice. So we've got one, five. Now we've got four. Who else could it be? It's Jordan. That's Brian Jordan, not Michael. Um, <laughs> Brian Jordan, uh, who played 15 MLB seasons with uh, St. Louis and Atlanta, uh, was an all-star. Um, and while he was in the minors for St. Louis, he also played defensive back for the Atlanta Falcons from 1989 to 1991. He was a pretty good football player, too. He had five in- interceptions, four sacks, and uh, was an alternate for the uh, in the Pro Bowl in 1991. Then in 1992, he signed with St. Louis, uh, you know, debuted as major leaguer, which ended his football career. Um, but hey, he played 15 seasons in the majors, was still very produ- a very productive hitter for his career. He hit 282, 455 slugging, uh, 184 home runs, 119 stolen bases, and was an all-star in 1999 with Atlanta. So I really, you know, that's incredibly productive. I would be happy with either of those careers, to be honest. The higher Jordan of the two, huh? Not, not even, yeah. not even. Jordan's not even on your list, is he? Oh well, we'll, the we'll get Jordan. there. But um, okay, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, not to spoil anything, we'll we'll probably get there. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, he's ranked a little lower because I'm just going off of um, not necessarily dominance in one sport, but you know, a productive career in mm-hmm. multiple. Um, so then that moves us on to number three. We brought him up earlier. It's prime time. Deion Sanders, a uh, great baseball player, Hall of Fame football player, and just a quick rundown of his career. Drafted by the Yankees in 88 uh, as an outfielder, had good speed, could hit for average, debuted in 1989, and as Doug mentioned earlier, became the only player to both home run and score a touchdown in the same week, which is incredible. Uh, he played in New York for two seasons before being waived due to issues, uh, you know, playing both sports. Uh, so the 
from there, he actually signed with Atlanta, which made it easier to play, you know, football and baseball when you're doing it in the same city. So his best season was in 1992, the following season, where he hit 304 with eight home runs, 26 stolen bases, and became the only player to play in both the World Series and the Super Bowl. Uh, and not only that, he was actually one of the best hitters in that World Series. He hit 533 uh, with five stolen bases, the highest batting average on base percentage uh, for Atlanta in the series. Um, unfortunately, they did end up losing to Toronto. Um, but he also is very notable for being the only player to suit up for games across two professional sports on the same day when he played in a Falcons game against the Dolphins on October 11th before flying back that same night to Pittsburgh to potentially play in Atlanta's League Championship Series game against the Pirates that evening. Now, he didn't get in the game, uh, in the baseball game, that is, but he did become the first player to suit up for two teams on the same day, which is really, really cool. Um, Yeah, and while he was never, you know, a baseball all-star, he was a really, really solid player and a really exciting player. Um, Doug, what are some of your favorite memories about Neon Dion? Just the fact that he, you know, I was always fascinated growing up um, being a baseball player and watching him steal bases and how fast he was. And then just having like, you know, you watch certain players and you're like, my favorite player growing up was Ricky Henderson, just because he carried like a, 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 you know, a little bit of brash and confidence with them. And you, you saw a lot of that in Deion Sanders, just from, you know, from him intercepting a ball, you know, with the, uh, with his teams in the NFL and then being able to steal some bases and just the speed that he had, it was somebody who I always look to, to try. I, I'm very slow afoot. So maybe it's uh it was a little bit of jealousy <laughs> and a little bit of me wanting to be like him. But, um, yeah, one of my favorite players growing up, um, and just being able to watch him steal some bags and, and just kind of let the other team know that he was going to be there the entire game. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one thing, I know you mentioned Ricky, who's also one of my favorite players. It's one thing to steal a base. It's a whole other thing entirely to steal a base when the whole stadium knows that you're running. Absolutely. Primetime was one of those players that could steal with the spotlight on him. He actually had 56 stolen bases with the Cincinnati Reds in 1997 um, before actually leaving baseball for three years. Um, Now, he did attempt a brief comeback in 2001 with the Reds uh, and then later the Toronto Blue Jays in their minor league system, but ended up retiring to focus on football. So ended up with a you know career 263, 319, 392 slugging with 39 home runs and 186 stolen bases. That is a great MLB career. But as good as he was at baseball, he was way better at football, right? Um, so just the other side of primetime, uh, drafted by the Falcons in 1989, uh, just as an explosive cornerback. Um, in five seasons in Atlanta, he had 24 interceptions, three touchdowns, uh, one of the best defensive players in Atlanta, you know, during his career. And I mean, just throughout his career, you know, when he went to Dallas as as well. Um, 1994 signed with the Niners, uh, put up a great season with the Niners with six interceptions, a record at the time, 303 returning yards and three touchdowns. Also won the 1994 Defensive Player of the Year and helped lead the 49ers to the Super Bowl over the Chargers with a fourth quarter interception. So at this time, he was on top of the game in football. After that, signs that mega deal with the Cowboys in 95, wins his second straight Super Bowl, five years in Dallas, another 14 interceptions, two touchdowns, torching the league. Um, And then 
Now, this was really interesting. Uh, I didn't actually know about uh, Primetime. He actually signed a seven-year deal with Washington in 2000, had a productive season, and then just retired pretty abruptly after the first year of that deal. Um, and then, of course, unretired three years later, played two more seasons with Baltimore before you know quitting the game permanently. Inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2011. So... As great as he was as a baseball player, by far, you know, one of the greatest defensive football players of all time um, and truly had to be a joy to watch. And probably one of the best players that has made the transition to commentating while also having the best array of suits in the game. Like, a, a oh, neon yeah. De- like, yeah, that's a that's something as well that we didn't touch upon because it doesn't talk about his NFL or his MLB career. But man. <laughs> He can wear a suit. So put that up there on the docket. He should actually move up your chart just because he looks so good in what he's got going on. No men's warehouse for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's, he's a college football coach now. So he's truly pretty much done it all at this mm-hmm. point in his career. That's, you know, that's awesome. Really, really impressive. Now, of course, I'm sure you could probably guess who's the next player on this list at number two. It's Bo Jackson. There's, of course, the first thing that springs to my head when I think Bo Jackson is that iconic photo that he has with the football pads on and the bat behind his bat behind his head. Um, and I think he's one of the he's just such a cool player because the way people talk about Bo Jackson is that he's almost like this borderline, you know, mythical player right you know you've got these you know legends of him you know hitting the one-handed home run and running up outfield walls like you don't really Mm -hmm. get that surrounding any other player and it's crazy because we have video of this you know it's not like he's played you know at a time before we could get you know a lot of statistics and like we have video of bo jackson doing these things and it's still just so incredible that that happened right like Mm -hmm. that that was that happened. Um, now I'm just curious. Uh, so I know you're a big, uh, primetime guy. What, who was your favorite between him and, and Bo? I mean, Bo knows, Bo knows, Bo knows, Bo knows. Um, yeah. And I think also that gained a lot of popularity for him, especially when I was growing up was that he was, um, really good in Tecmo Super Bowl, And like, you wanted to pick the Raiders just because, you could be him. And it was kind of like putting in your own cheat code there. Cause if you gave him the ball, he's running every single, like up and down all over the, all over the field. So uh super popular player, but you know, I, I have to go, I have to still stay with, with neon Stick there, with but guns. respect what Bo did. And like always liked those guys that were, had the brash yeah. and the confidence and Bo's up there in the top five, but uh have to still go with Sanders there. I respect it. I respect it. And I, <laughs> I honestly think that Bo Jackson reminds me a lot of a precursor to Ken Griffey Jr. Because, you know, he was big with the Tecmo, Tecmo Bowl video game. You know, he had the big Bo nose Nike, uh, you know, marketing commercial and deal where he was going around playing golf. He did uh, auto racing, stuff like that. So he was a huge athlete at the time. You know, he is the only player in history to be an all-star in both baseball and football. In college, he actually won the Heisman Trophy uh, with Auburn in 1985 before debuting with the Royals in 1986, which is just wild that you could go from winning college football's most prestigious award and then just go 
say, hey, you know, I'm going to go play baseball too. Um, but with the Royals, obviously, he had the cannon arm. He could hit for power. He was fast. He could steal bases. Uh, and he really, it all started to come together in 1989 when he was, you know, he was the All-Star Game MVP. He had that miraculous run-saving catch, followed it up with a monster home run, and actually became the second player in All-Star Game history with both a home run and a steal. Um, now, Doug, I'm going to surprise you with another pop quiz here. Who just who do you think, just a guess, was the first player with a home run and a steal in the All-Star Game? Mm. <laughs> You're really putting me on the spot. Oh, good question. Very good question. But shoot, give me a time. Can you give me a time frame? Yeah. Um, yeah when that might have happened. Yeah. OK, um, I'll give you a hint. Um, Giants uh, when they were in New York. Mm. So you're talking about Barry Bonds? No, not talking about Barry Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know then. New York Giants. It's oh, Willie Mays. Oh, Willie yeah. Mays. Willie Mays. Um, so I think that's that's pretty cool company to be in. Uh, ended up 10th in MVP voting in 1989, coming off of a 32 home run, 26 stolen base season. Just like I said, incredible power, incredible speed, incredible fielding. While at the same time, he's playing football, right? He was drafted by the Raiders in 87, um, who actually they worked out his deal to allow him to prioritize playing baseball. Uh, but he was still an incredibly gifted football player, a very powerful, very agile running back. Um, and in his rookie season with the Raiders, he actually ran for 554 yards on only 81 carries. Uh, so that averages 6.8 yards per carry, which is Pretty great for for a rookie in the NFL. Um, he actually set the Raiders single game rushing record against the Seahawks that season with 221 yards and three touchdowns in a game. So he was really exploding across both sports, uh, was just incredibly dynamic. Um, now, moving forward, 1989, he actually had his best season where he rushed for 950 yards, uh, you know, with 5.5 yards per carry and four touchdowns. Um, 1990. Still very productive, had a good season, uh, got his first Pro Bowl selection. Unfortunately, it all came crashing to a halt with in 1991 uh, when he hurt his hip in the uh, divisional championship against the Cincinnati Bengals. He dislocated his hip on a routine ta- tackle uh, and, you know, complications actually forced him to get a hip replacement and that ended his football career. Um, now, this is where we get into the kind of what could have been part of this uh, this podcast, because that's the thing about having multi-sport athletes is you're focusing on two different sports um, where, you know, sometimes you think, hey, you know, maybe if you just focused on one, could you have been an inner circle talent? Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people do speculate about Bo Jackson. And it's natural because he was a better baseball player than a football player. Um, and when is he? was injured playing football that really took its toll on his baseball career. So he was released by the Royals in 1991, uh, signed with the White Sox for three years while rehabbing his hip. Couldn't quite recapture his athleticism, but still remained a solid hitter with some power. Um, Ended up playing for the Angels in 1994 and retired when the season was shut down due to the strike. But he retired with, you know, a 250 average, 141 home runs and 82 stolen bases in just eight seasons. Uh, So really just Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders, two of the most improbable careers in professional sports history. Um, And what's even crazier is they actually played each other and met up on a baseball field in 1990 when the Royals played the Yankees. And Bo Jackson actually hit three home runs in a game um, during that season. So, you know, 
two iconic players uh, from that era. But, you know, with Bo Jackson, especially, you kind of wonder, you're like, what could have been if he didn't play football, if he didn't get hurt? Uh, But regardless, truly one of the most amazing athletic talents of our time. So now we've gone, we've done our top five. Now we're going to go on to some multi-sport athletes where their careers, you know, maybe didn't fare as well. Uh, And we're, of course, talking about the other Jordan, uh, Michael, of course. You know who he is. I'm not going to, I don't need to explain him to you. Um, He gave up basketball uh, for baseball as a tribute to his late father. And one of the most surprising, uh, you know, sports moves of all time, really going from the top of his game, coming off of, you know, a three-peat season, you know, really in his prime as the greatest basketball player, you know, the NBA had seen. Um, and so then, you know, he decided he wants to play baseball uh, as a tribute to his, his dad. And a lot of people around the league treated it as a sideshow since he hadn't played baseball since his junior year of high school. Um, now, Doug, do you remember kind of the you know, discussion when, when this was happening with MJ. Yeah. Being from Chicago and uh, being a huge Bulls fan at the time, it was uh, devastating to see him walk away from the game, especially when we were running back titles back to back to back and just dominating the league and just seeing if we could catch those great Celtics and Lakers teams um, from the early eighties, you know, early eighties, late, late eighties, early nineties, and just being able to kind of, you know, watch him on, on struggling something like baseball and, you know, even having the Looney Tunes make fun of him a little bit in Space Jam there. But yeah, tough to watch. Um, you know, understand why maybe he did it. You know, he, he always had that deep love for baseball, but man, top, it's really hard to go from the top of the peak of the mountain and, you know, uh, going down to the minors and, and kind of struggling with, uh, you know, it kind of shows you how different it is to play two different sports and how hard it is yeah. because even, a great player like Michael Jordan, one of the best athletes of all time, the best basketball player, you know, debatable maybe now, but going going down to uh, to the level of some of the minor leaguers and getting kind of you know blown away from them. So, yeah, was here in Chicago, had a tough time with it, but uh, when he came back, it, it made it all the more special. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing is he is one of the greatest athletes of all time, but baseball is a completely different skill set. And I think that, you know, his baseball career does kind of get a bit of a bad rap because, you know, people underestimate how different it is to switch from basketball, which is, you know, more of an athletic sport to baseball, which is more hand-eye coordination and and precision, right? Um, So, yeah, he, you know, he started out, struggled in spring training with the White Sox, uh, actually started out, they sent him to Double A Birmingham, which for those of you that are less familiar with, you know, the minor league system, Double A is pretty good. You know, he wasn't thrown in at rookie league ball. He was up against some serious minor league talent. But to his credit, he started off pretty hot, right? You know, he started off with a 13 game hitting streak, uh, was hitting 327 uh, late in April. Um, but of course, as we all know, you know, the league, it adjusts uh, and they started throwing him curveballs couldn't hit breaking balls to save his life. Uh, And there were just other small things that really held him back as a baseball player, because like I said, he hadn't played since he was a junior in high school. He lacked fielding fundamentals. He had to learn to steal bases. And, you know, obviously he's an incredible athlete. So maybe if he had been playing baseball to that point in his career, he could have made the majors and he might've been able to carve out a decent career for himself. But yeah, overall, this was treated like a sideshow and he retired from baseball after just one season. Uh, 
but he, you know, he hit 202, hit three home runs, actually, 30 stolen bases, did strike out 114 times in 127 games. But when you're just throwing someone without really much baseball experience at all, at least in a very long time, into double A of all places, I would honestly consider that something of almost an ex- uh, a success. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it, we, you know, you've you've touched upon it before. It's so incredibly hard. He, you know, you watch footage from him playing, and it just doesn't seem like he. You know, you carry yourself a little bit differently as a basketball player than you yeah. do as a as a baseball player. He looks like a basketball player out there. And, uh, you know, credit to him for going and trying and giving it a whirl. Um, but, uh, you know, came back to the sport that, that he just, and to be able then to come back and dominate the NBA again is just, that's just absolutely crazy. Yeah. And that's what he did. He came back another three peat ends up retiring six and zero in the finals. You know, one of the greatest NBA careers of all time. Like you want to talk about his uh, Wizards days, too? (laughs) (laughs) You know, maybe not. You know, we'll we'll give him the benefit (laughs) of the doubt there. Uh, Yeah. But uh, Michael Jordan, I I'll go to bat for him. Not nearly as bad a baseball player as the media would have him out to be. Um, that's that's another thing is you see, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, you have, there was a video circulating the internet of uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, you know, just trying to hit batting practice. And he looked like the most unathletic I've ever seen him because it's just a completely different skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what makes it even more impressive when these athletes can, you know, go between sports. And of course, closing it out in number seven, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the, uh, you know, the brief but entertaining career of Tim Tebow, minor league <laughs> baseball player. Uh, we all know Tim Tebow. He you know, was a great college quarterback, won the Heisman in 2007 with Florida, then went on to, you know, a brief NFL career. Um, played three seasons, 17 touchdowns, 2,422 yards, uh, 47.9% completion rate, um, and really peaked when he took the Broncos to the playoffs in their 2011 run, where they ended up losing in the AFC divisional round to the Patriots. Uh, and then, you know, he retired in 2012 shortly thereafter. But wait, there's more. 2016, <laughs> Tim Tebow out of nowhere announces that he would attempt to play in the MLB, signed with the Mets. Um, and he actually did. He gave it a good effort. He played six seasons in the minors, which, you know, obviously Tim Tebow is way richer than the average minor league ball player and definitely had a much more comfortable career there. But, you know, that's not really anything to scoff at because playing in the minors sucks, you know, long bus rides, um, that that whole bag. Uh, but he wasn't terrible, obviously wasn't good, uh, but he did hit 223 with 18 home runs. Um, struck out 327 times in 287 games. So yeah, pretty bad, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> not going to sugarcoat it too much. But in 2018, he actually did hit 273 with a 734 on base plus slugging in double A. Uh, really the highlight of his baseball career. But of course, never made it out of the minors. Uh, was considered at the time, similar to Jordan, as something of a, a sideshow. Uh, and I remember a lot of people have discussed, you know, he's taking away a spot from another minor leaguer that would actually want to be there. Uh, you know, it's a whole publicity stunt, which we can have that conversation. Um, but yeah, and then recently just retired a couple of weeks ago prior to the 2021 20, season, thus bringing an end to the Tim Tebow experiment. I was hoping that he would make it up to MLB. I don't know about you. 
Yeah, I I love Tim Tebow. I I had him when I, I well I didn't have him, but uh, I I used him as my quarterback in my fantasy run in 2011. There and I loved watching him play. He would just grind yeah. out points for you, whether it was like running for two or three yards there or throwing a six yard pass. It, he is my favorite Christmas ornament that dons my Christmas tree is him really? in the Denver. That's yes, cool. because I was such a big fan. My my wife would do the Tebow. We would get very excited about it, you know, um, and, and did want to see him too. It did draft him a couple of times just for fun in uh, fancy baseball drafts, got made fun of. But I'm a huge Tim Tebow <laughs> fan. My number is 15. Tim Tebow, 15. You know, got to love what wow. he did out there. A great analyst as well, and uh, was a guy that just went out there and, you know, you try and you fail at something, it's fine. And the yeah. fact that he still was able to do both things is 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 also a, a huge testament to working hard and just was a lot of fun to watch. As an easy guy to kind of root for in some situations there. Yeah. So this podcast really ended up lining up pretty good, right? You know, big Tim Tebow guy watched Dion. Uh, Got to see Jordan play in Chicago. Wow. This this worked out pretty well. Yeah. You had me really excited when you gave me the rundown. I'm like, yes, we're going to, I know we're going to talk about Tebow. I I was just waiting for you to talk about him. We're going to talk, obviously, we're going to talk about Deion Sanders too. Um, And I was waiting to see if you were going to bring up Michael Jordan. Um, You know, John Elway too played a little bit of baseball and he had a pretty good career as a, as a Bronco himself there. But yeah, I thought the, the whole rundown was very exciting. It was was just, I love hearing about um, these guys and and being a coach myself. One of the things that we would always tell our athletes, you know, coaching high school or, or coaching even middle school is play everything that you possibly can. It's only going to make you into a better athlete. What happens now is you have a lot of these students who are honing in, you know, you're playing, you know, uh, travel basketball or you're playing just travel baseball and you're starting to hone in on just one sport. But by yeah. playing a multitude of different things, you know, by, by playing football, by playing soccer, by playing, you know, baseball or basketball, you, your body gets used to trying to do different things because like you were saying, it's so many different, like baseball is so different than basketball. There's different muscles that you use. There's different hand-eye coordination things that you're going to get accustomed to. And it only helps you build your athleticism. Um, and then you're going to look back at it by the time that you're my age and wish that you did a whole lot more because <laughs> you get old and, and you stop moving and all you have are the memories of things that you should have done. But yeah, uh, one of the messages that we always tell our, our student athletes is, is to get out there and to play as many things. And this list of, of players is, is a testament to that, playing and trying something. And if you fail at it, you fail at it. But at least you went out there exactly. and gave it your best because I was a horrible football player. I was one of the worst football players that you could ever think of. But I went out there and I tried and... Uh, I think it did make me into a better athlete, even though I was getting carted off the field every other day um, to the <laughs> nurse's office and the, the trainer's room there. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, just before we close out this segment and wrap things up here tonight, I did want to touch on Kyler Murray, uh, mm-hmm. the Arizona Cardinals quarterback who did get drafted in the first round by the Oakland Athletics. Mm-hmm. Now, I want your, your point of view on this. Uh, should he have stuck with baseball? Obviously, he has turned, uh, you know, his career with the Cardinals. It, you know, he's had a really great start to it. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's tough. I mean, like I, I remember, and this is another example of um, like Jeff Samarja, uh, a, a, yeah. you know, a player, a pitcher for the Cubs as well as for the Giants. 
but uh, it had a really outstanding career as a wide receiver for Notre Dame. And, and, and I think when you look back at it, you know, football is such a, a violent game and, you know, it's so hard on the body, but you can make more, you know, it, it's hard because you, you, you're looking as an athlete to see where you can maybe make the most impact in the game, but also make the, make the most money that you possibly can. So it's, it's a difficult situation to take a look at there, but I mean, it, it, it is hard to turn down a starting quarterback gig, is it not? So, yeah. you know, rather than kind of toil away in the minors and, and to see, you know, it's not a guarantee. It's so incredibly hard yeah. to make it in Major League Baseball. So everybody who you're watching, anytime that you say this, this person's not very good, that's not true at all. Anybody who makes it or is, is drafted is very good. So, yeah. There was no guarantee that Murray was going to be up there um, every day for the Oakland Athletics. It might have been a several years until you saw him, until he got used to you know higher competition. But 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 to go in right away as QB one, I mean, you, you really honestly you can't turn that down. So I think he made the right yeah. decision. Um, but I would have liked to see him try to do both. I thought he was going to try to do both. Yeah, and it would have been really cool to see him do. Um, you know, both things to, for him to be one of those other players that, that we get to talk about tonight. Um, but I think he did make the right decision by being the, the Cardinal quarterback there. And I think that that was something that we were all kind of holding our breath about. Uh, and, you know, that's something that I remember that discussion was happening at the time. You know, can are we going to see another Bo Jackson, another mm-hmm. prime time? Um, and of course, there's the argument that baseball uh, you're going to make more guaranteed money if you're a great baseball player than you are a great basketball player or a great, you know, football player. Um, but at the same time, you know, Kyler Murray, if he chose baseball, there's a very good chance he would be in the minor leagues right now instead of being the face of the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and of course, all the merchandise money that comes with that just beyond, you know, what you would make from sport. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I I think he did make the right decision here because that's the other thing is there's really no guarantee if you're even if you're a first round pick that you're going to end up cracking the MLB roster mm-hmm. where, you know, first round picks in football, basketball, they're going to see some playing time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, unless you're completely blocked. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. I do think Kyler Murray made the right decision. Um, and, you know, even you could even throw Russell Wilson into that conversation. Um, and I know he go, goes and does spring training with the Yankees sometimes. Um, and of course, you've got your other athletes. You've got Mookie who bowls. You've got Madison Bumgarner who has his whole, you know, professional rodeo. Yeah, he's a great. He's a great at the hilarious. rodeo. Yeah, just don't fall um, off. Don't fall off, and you'll Mason be fine. Saunders. Um, <laughs> now, just to wrap up this conversation, uh, which non MLB player uh, today do you think would make the best ball player? And you know, extra credit, what position? Wouldn't you like to see Rob Gronkowski play baseball? Oh, yeah. That's wouldn't a good it, one. Wouldn't that be fun to see him play? I don't know how well he would be able to to go out there, but I, I'm, I'm assuming that he would play first um, and not, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. not uh, patrol the outfield there. But uh, he would be a blast, I think, to watch. Uh, so I'm going to say I'm going to say Gronkowski there just because he's, you know, he's coming off his Super Bowl run, what if he said, you know, I'm going to retire again and I'm going to go play uh, first base there for the Baltimore Orioles. I think that that people would really, really like that to watch that. That would be something. 
that's also something that we would jo- we joke about it now, but I feel like Gronk is the person that would just come out and like, yeah, career shift. I'm going to do this now, you know, like because that's kind of the vibe I get from him. I could totally see him as a, a slugging first baseman, uh, you know, makes the final out, spikes the ball and his glove into the ground. I could totally see it. Big, big. Let the play. Uh, let the kids play initiative guy. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, I think if. You know, I think Calvin Johnson, Megatron would have been a cool, a cool baseball player, you know, kind of in a, an Aaron judge kind of role where, you know, just massive, you know, great defender. I, I would, I would think, um, you know, probably could hit the ball a ton because the dude was just jacked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think kind of along the same lines, you know, LeBron, I think would be kind of an interesting, who knows, could end up like MJ because it is a completely different sport. Um, but I, I do like just speculating about hopefully maybe this will happen. Um, I, I do really hope that we do see a, another multi-sport athlete in the future, although it does seem pretty unlikely, I would say, uh, just with how professional sports are set up these days. Um, but with that, that just about wraps it up here tonight for Short Hops and Tall Tales. Doug, thanks for coming on the show. This was a great time getting to getting to rehash uh, some baseball history with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm so I, I told you earlier. I'm so bad at trivia. Do not put me on any team <laughs> whatsoever because I am just a complete disappointment in that front. But I had a great time. I loved you hearing got the first. You got, oh, the got top two you know. players in slugging. Give yourself some credit. Yeah, I'll give myself a participation ribbon a little bit later here. But yeah, I had a good time. It's very nice uh, to talk to you and get to know you a little bit. And love what you're doing. You and Brandon um, putting the show together. And it's a lot of fun just to be able to kind of, you know, sometimes take a, a little bit of break from, you know, analyzing fantasy yeah. all the time and be able to talk about why you love the sport and what drew you to it in the first place. And so it was fun to kind of rehash some of those memories of some of those players that I remember watching and just, you know, kind of holding up um, in, in in trying to be as good and obviously not uh, of an athlete as they are. But <laughs> it does serve a good testament. Like we do, I do bring that up in a lot of my coaching opportunities is, is like, hey, like these players did it. I mean, obviously that's like the Mount Rushmore to get up there, but, um, had a, had a lot of fun talking to you tonight. Thank you for, for bringing me on. Yeah, definitely. Had a lot of fun on my end too. Um, so for our audience, uh, you can find Doug on Twitter at coaching ish. Um, now Doug, you also run the, uh, you're one of the hosts of the PL shorts podcast. You just want to give the audience a, you know, a quick rundown about what you do over there and, and what they can expect when, uh, you know, checking it out. Yeah, so we're like we we like to call ourselves the pocket size fantasy baseball podcast. Uh, something that's going to be on in the mornings. Right now we are Sundays and and Wednesdays. That might switch to a couple more times a week. Um, I'm with Scott Chu and I'm with Rich Holman, two other fantastic pitcher list writers and analysts. I know Rich also does some work for QB list as well. But uh, the three of us uh, get together and we we really like just talking about things that that are going to hit you really quick, quick fantasy baseball, um, you know, tidbits and tricks and roster management, but we're also going to sprinkle in some DFS to it as well. Rich is really well known for doing that. So hopefully we were able to get you all the information that you need and also put a little coin in your pocket all in within like 10 to 15 minutes in the morning. So hope that you give us a listen. I hope that you come hang out with us. It's a ton of fun. Really have enjoyed being a part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. You know, I got my start with uh, Michael Simeone and uh, the rest of the gang over at SP Streamer 
And I've only been doing this a year and it has been so much fun getting to know so many different people. So, you know, I'm still doing the, still hosting the SP streamer podcast, but then, and being in that discord is, is so much fun and hanging out with the writers and obviously Michael Simeone, who's making a, a big um, amount of noise on his end. And then being able to, to join pitcher list and talk to Nick Pollock and Alex fast and all the great people that we have over there as well. That discord is even way crazier. There's so many people in there just talking baseball, all sorts of stuff. So it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed being a host and kind of hanging out and meeting so many new people. So thank you. Yeah, and I'll take that opportunity to uh, shamelessly plug. Um, join the Pitcherless Plus Discord. There's, it's a lot of fun. You get to join some wacky baseball leagues. Uh, you get to meet everyone at Pitcherless. It's a really great community to be a part of, and you get to, you're a, you get a lot better at fantasy. Uh, speaking from experience. Um, also, don't forget to follow uh, the PL Shorts podcast on Twitter at PL Shorts Pod. Uh, you can also follow Short Hops and Tall Tales on Twitter at Short Hops PL. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Noah A. Scott 6. And Brandon Riddle, although he wasn't able to be here tonight, he's on Twitter at BD Riddle. Um, you can also subscribe to Short Hops and Tall Tales on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're currently listening to this podcast. Um, but yeah, that just about wraps it up for Brandon Riddle. I'm Noah Scott, and this has been the Short Hops and Tall Tales podcast. See you next time. <laughs>